0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by Stuart Mandel, and Stu, we are... So fortunate. I think we have our favorite person who works at Fox joining us today.
2: <laughs> and one of the most popular podcast guests of all time, Coach Dave Wanstead. He will be part of the uh, – I mean the Ohio State-Oklahoma game is on Fox uh, Saturday night. Pre-game show starts at 7 Eastern. And those guys, Rob, uh, Coach, Liner, they will be there on site. That's, uh, we're blowing this thing out. And Coach, if I'm not mistaken, you were just in Columbus as well.
3: I was. I get. I went up. I flew up there uh, Monday night and had a great visit with Urban uh, Meyer on Tuesday. You know, did an interview which will be showed. Some of it will be shown on our pregame show before the game, and then had a chance to catch up with Greg Chiano and some some guys at Ohio State that I know. So it was a it was a neat visit getting back to Columbus. That's one of the few stadiums, if you can believe this, from a player standpoint in coaching forty years that I never played a game there. I uh I was recruited by them out of high school, you know, out of Pittsburgh. Coach Hayes, Woody Hayes was the coach and oh coach, I'm gonna give you guys a name now. George Chomp. You ever
1: oh, you know Old Navy guys? coach.
3: There you go. George Chomp. Where is he coaching now? Harrisburg High School, where 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 the late Denny Green went to school. Right next to Shady McCoy, LaShawn McCoy. And uh, so I used to see George Chomp when I would go up there recruiting in uh, in Harrisburg and uh yeah, so, but I never, never went, uh, never attended a game there. So it was wow, kind of neat to get McC-
0: to the stadium.
1: Shady McCoy, Stu, one of Walt Harris's best recruits at Pitt.
3: Oh, yeah. Please. <laughs> Come on. For what? He, he would have made him a wide receiver. If he would have recruited LeSean, he'd have moved him to the tight end or something. You know, and throw him the ball. Want to run the ball. But, uh, yeah. So anyway, it, uh, it was a great visit, though. Urban was great. The background on that, when I was coaching the Bears, Urban was the receiver coach at Notre Dame for Lou Holtz. So we actually met there and then we, I bumped into him and he was at Florida, you know, doing some recruiting down in, uh, in South Florida, some, and, and, you know, I've kept a good relationship and I picked them to win the national championship every year. So he loves me, you know,
1: (laughs) I'm sure he does. Uh,
3: Ohio state's one of my final four every year.
1: So let me get back to your protege here. You said you had, I guess you had coffee with him or something with Greg Ciano. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but he coached for you at the bears and, um, what I happened. actually
3: hired him from yeah I hired him from Penn State. He was an assistant at Penn State, and he came with me. At the Bears did a great job. Kind of kind of a ironic story. And, and Butch Davis then at that time, oh, in the same within a year or two, got the University of Miami job, Florida, and uh, he called me up. And I remember he was looking for a defensive coordinator, and I said I got a guy on my staff. Uh, you, you need to talk to butch and, you, and butch you know butch and i coached together at oklahoma state obviously university of miami dallas cowboys so so we got a long time relationship and he said who and i said greg shano he said i never heard of him i says trust me fly him down talk to him so he flew greg down to miami and talked to him and hired him on the spot and then greg was there a couple of years and then went to uh uh rutgers from there so yeah then then when i left buffalo three or four years ago he was the head coach at the Bucks already, and he called me up and said, "What are you going to do?" And I said, ah, "I don't know, you know." And he said, "Well, come on down here to Tampa and help me out a little bit. And uh, you know, as long as I'm coaching, you want a job, you got one." So, so Greg and I have a good relationship, and it was it, we actually, you know, we had some coffee up in at, at Ohio State uh, yesterday, and then we, we went and had lunch together, and he showed me around, and uh, so it, it was a good catch-up visit.
1: So. So fill us in, why have they been so dominant? I know that they haven't played huge schools, but those were two pretty good productive offenses in Tulsa and Bowling Green, at least last year, and they completely dominated them. what's What's he got going on there?
3: Well, I think that it goes back to what Urban Meyer did, and this is really out of the box a little bit. Before Greg was even hired there, Urban named his captains right after the bowl game last year. They played Notre Dame, you know, beat them pretty good in the Fiesta Bowl. And it was I don't know if it was a week or within a month. Before they started their off-season program, he named the captains on that team. So I'm going to give some credit to Urban Meyer that he was way out in front of this whole thing. He knew that he was going to have the, you know, he's the youngest, has the youngest football team in, in the country, three starters returning on offense and defense. That's it if you can believe that. And so I think he started this whole plan of younger players. And I asked him about that in the interview, you know, and and he talked about it without getting into it too much of of, uh, how he tweaked some things starting back in February. You know, everybody thinks, and this used to crack me up, that as coaches that the first time that we even think about football is the week of the opening game in September. You know, it starts really the day after your your last game is over. You're starting on the next season. And it's, you know, the off-season program. And, and he talked about some things that they did with their strength coach. And so everything, I think, was building up to set the mindset that, you know, he knew he had the athletic talent. But he was doing everything to develop these kids and mature these kids physically and mentally as fast as he could before he got to training camp, so I'm gonna, and that's kind of what Greg said. He said, you know what, boy, you, you wouldn't think that uh, uh, these guys. I mean, uh, they've got some talent, but but they press them to get the most out of them, and and nobody has developed players, in my opinion, and you guys know this. I mean, hey, I went through this recruiting stuff for you know a bunch of years, and whether you're, there's not much difference between the first rated class and the tenth rated class. If you're getting top ten talent it's, it's very, there's a fine line between, well, nobody puts out players and nobody develops them like urban Meyer does for the next level. So I think that, you know, when I'm talking to Shiano, he, he said, if I didn't know that these guys weren't three year starters, you wouldn't know it because they're smart. They're mentally tough. You know, they're, they're willing to work and they have talent. So I think it's a combination of all those, but you know, I, I would go back to, Boy, yeah, you know, I, I would be scared that. I mean, if you go out, well, look what happened to JT Barrett a year ago, guys. What was it? June when he had that DUI or whatever it was, you know, two years last year. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen with college kids uh, from January until that opening game that could, if it blows up in your face, come back and embarrass the university, embarrass the football team and embarrass your head coach. So, Urban really stepped up to the plate when he when he named his captains that early, I thought.
2: I believe Barrett was during the season last year, but they have had a couple Oh it was okay. Yeah, okay, couple, yeah, okay. They've had a couple incidents in the offseason, but not 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 as much as as some other programs out there. Uh sure. looking at that Ohio State defense, these guys that you, you said, like you said, these guys were not two, three year starters. What stands out to me so far, they're secondary uh malik hooker is a safety uh Lattimore, the cornerback i mean these guys have hookers already got three interceptions um Lattimore, i believe had two in the game the other day they've scored three defensive touchdowns but uh obviously oklahoma is a big step up in competition what do you expect to see when these guys go up against baker mayfield p ryan mixon and, and all those guys at oklahoma
3: well that's what's interesting, because when I was talking with with Greg Schiano you know yesterday, he he made the comment he said, "Do you realize that they ran the ball twelve times against Houston? It was the least amount of runs I think he said an Oklahoma team had since two thousand nine or two thousand and eight and he and I said, "Yeah." and I says, and he said, "Yeah, and we both know what last year and, and this was my comment at the beginning of the year with Bobby Stoops. I hope he doesn't have amnesia going into this season of what happened last year early. And the same darn thing happened. They went into it and they were going to throw the ball. And it was after the Texas loss that his statement was we, we, I mean, they were full pads all week. They were, they were live contact. And he said it was his words were, it was training camp mentality. And then they came out after Texas and started running the ball, and they simplified their defense, and all of a sudden, you know, they started started winning games. So I'm going to bet, and and it's, and it's I think Ohio State is thinking the same way, that you know what, that they're going to come out and, and they're going to put that ball in Mixon's hands and P. Ryan's hands, and they're going to try to establish the running game. I mean, that's, you know, common sense would, would tell you that, you know. So we'll see what happens, though. I mean, everybody – you know, most as Bill Parcells told me a long time ago when I was going to hire my first offensive coordinator, he said, "Let me tell you something, Dave. You interview all these offensive coordinators. everyone in the interview is going to tell you they believe in running the ball. Very few of them really do. Very few." He says they want to throw that football and put numbers up there, So you better be, you know, better be, better be careful. So uh, and so, I think that's a little bit what's going on in Oklahoma. To be honest with you.
1: Yeah, look, it's Lincoln Riley's the offensive coordinator. It is in his pedigree as a air raid guy, as a Mike Leach disciple. And as much as he, will say he's, you know, he's changed the offense. And these are the two best running backs that have ever played in this system, in P. Ryan and Mixon. But there's clearly, you know, some challenges there of of what they want to so, do and who they are and what their identity so, is.
3: So what you're saying, Bruce, is he'd have a tough time in an interview with Bill Parcells? So you're saying it would be
1: a challenge, but you know, Lincoln's a sharp guy. Oh, I I think he knows where his bread is buttered there and what <laughs> right, Bob Stoops right. wants to do. Um, sure. So coach, great. Shiano was a secondary guy for you and that's been one of his focuses. I'm curious. Did he talk to you about how much, how good the personnel is at what he inherited at Ohio state compared to when he was at Miami he had you know, it was he was there with Butch right before they put together, you know, arguably the most talented team in the history of the sport. Uh I'm not trying to say that they have Ed Reed back there or anything like that, but did right. sure. he give you a sense of just how good they yeah. are considering well, this team lost all those first round picks? Well,
3: I I without saying it, I mean Greg Ciano is you know, Bill Belichick's son was a, a long snapper for for Greg at Rutgers. So Greg developed a good relationship, a really good relationship with Belichick. used to come to Rutgers games. He was on the team plane. So Greg really, he went from my way of thinking and the old Penn State way of thinking, rush for play coverage to that's when Bill was into the pressure, 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 and that was becoming hot in the NFL. So Greg went to that at Rutgers. I mean, and that's what we did. Quite, that was majority of the stuff that we did at Tampa Bay. That was a little bit of a problem from the, uh, you know, the Tony Dungy, the Fordon, Monty Kiffin, to now all of a sudden a lot of pressures and movements and stuff. Well, guess what? At Ohio State, to answer your question, that this is how much respect he has for the talent. They have not been a pressure team yet. Now, keep in mind, it may be this week. I don't know. You know what I mean? But he, he loves to pressure people and bring backers and bring safeties and bring corners, but they're not doing it. They're doing it they're, the first two weeks. They've really just lined up and played with four down every once in a while, a little pressure. So I, I guess, you know, without saying, boy, they're talented enough to do it without blitzing. So far they have. They haven't obviously given up a touchdown So on defense. So, you know, they're they're getting it done by – by being safe on the back end, they've been able to double receivers. They've been able to roll up on receivers, and that's what helped that secondary too. As long as you're getting rush up front, which they're getting now, that secondary is going to make a lot of plays.
2: So your Big Ten network guy. We want to shift over for a second to another uh, big game this week, and that's Michigan State-Notre Dame. We all saw Notre Dame uh, play in the Texas game, and, you know, Deshaun Kaiser looked great. Defense did not. But I don't feel like we know much of anything about this year's Michigan State team. They only played that one game against Furman. Uh, what do you expect yeah, to see from that? And,
3: and, and you know what, Stu, they didn't play good. I I, I want to be correct on this. I think they had 13, nine or 13 penalties in the game. Uh, you know, that's not a Mark Antonio is going to play a clean game. Last year, they ended up Plus 14 in turnover margin for the year. You know, he, he's, he's not going to beat himself. And, uh, and they didn't play that way the opening game. So the week off, now everybody's got to keep in mind that, you know, they, you, you just said it. They've only played one game. So they had a bye week before Notre Dame. Is that good? Is that bad? I mean, I've had teams where we've, boy, we've used that bye week and we've we really cleaned some things up. We got a few guys back healthy. And then we've had the bye week where guys came out flat, and and that's the concern that I have about this game. And I'll tell you what, I think Notre Dame might be a better team than what people might – than it's perceived because of that opening day. But, and here's my big but, now I still think Oklahoma's the top team in the Big 12, but do not underestimate the athletic talent that Texas has. You know what I mean? Texas might be a better football team than anybody's giving them credit for. And, and they lined up and and they lined up against Texas and boy, I mean, you saw the explosiveness that Notre Dame has. So my point is this, that I think Michigan state would like to be physical with them, would like to run the ball on them. You know, they've got a new quarterback, but they're going to have to find a way. I think personally to start fast and, and score some points. Because Notre Dame is explosive, guys, and, in all, and and if they jump up on Michigan State you know, and get a lead on them in South Bend, the game is at Notre Dame, it's going to be tough slating for, for, I think, Michigan State with a new quarterback and doing something that they don't want to do, which is throw the ball.
1: Just a little uh, update on that. So Torrey Hunter Jr., that is Notre Dame's best receiver, who is the one who took the big hit in the Texas game. He has said he has cleared all the concussion tests and that he's pretty sure. confident he's going to play for Michigan State. That's good news. I, I mean, I think Deshaun Kaiser being named the starter is a really good thing for Notre Dame. I thought he looked terrific. Uh, having said all that, Coach, you know, I know how how confident you are in the toughness of this Michigan State program. I mean, right? Did it's not like Texas has a great offensive line. And now, granted, Michigan State has to replace you know the Jack Allen, Jack Conklin, who are two terrific linemen, but. What would, this, you know, what would this say for you if um, they can't run the ball against Notre Dame after what that was? I mean, is that a warning sign about where this Michigan State team is going to be this year? Yes,
3: I, I think it definitely would be. Because if they cannot run the ball, Mark D'Antonio is completely out of his comfort zone. He, he truly is. I mean, and that's not what he's – and, and I've, I competed against Mark when he was at the head coach at Cincinnati and I was at Pitt. And nothing's changed. That's why he's good. You know, he, he, he's, he's, he does what Saban does, and he does what Belichick does. I mean, you know what you get with Mark D'Antonio every year. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think the world of the guy. I mean, I, I, you know, and he's now, the one thing, be alert for this, guys. Early on, the last two, you look at the number of big games that Mark D'Antonio has won. And, and the majority of them, and I did research, I don't have it in front of me right now, but there were like four of the six biggest games that he's ever won. Special teams were a part of it. He had a fake field goal. He runs a fake punt. He'll kick an onside kick. So I'm, if I'm Mark, I'm going into this game. And don't be surprised if you don't see something unusual. Maybe you're only to give his team a spark coming from the special teams angle.
2: So obviously, you know, Oklahoma-Ohio State is your focus, but there's a lot of other big games this week from Florida State-Louisville to Oregon-Nebraska. Um, what, what other game out there maybe intrigues you the most?
3: Hey, you know what I just thought of? And we no one, maybe I'm the only one that cares about this game. How about Pitt last week beating Penn State? And now you know who Pitt plays this week? They go on the road to Stillwater, Oklahoma, and play Mike Gundy. And the only reason I say this is it was an emotional game for Pitt. You know, they, Pitt last week brought Tony Dorsett and Johnny Majors. The national championship team was on the sideline. I mean, it was a big game for Pat Narduzzi and Pitt. And they, and they beat Penn State now. But here's, here's what I think makes this game intriguing. All week long, and I talked to somebody last night from Oklahoma State. They were not one of their coaches, but somebody that's close to the program. And they made the comment that they will not let the last play against Central Michigan die. So, you know, what intrigues me about this game is how has Mike Gundy, has he been able to get over it? If his players been able to get over it, you know, it's an interesting game to to kind of keep an eye on, I think. Uh, You know, everyone's talking about Louisville. You know, they've got the Heisman Trophy winner. uh, Florida State's a national championship contender. Both teams have played great they face off this week and there's a very similar explosiveness. I think with both offenses, um, it, it'll be interesting. You know, you don't, uh, you, you never underestimate Bob Petrino at Louisville. I mean, I would start by saying that I think the guy does a great job, but I, uh, I think that Dalvin cook from Florida state, and I know you love him, Stu. I, I do too. I think the guy's a great player. I don't think we've seen the best of Dalvin Cook yet, and this could be the week that he that he takes over the game.
1: Coach, who'd you pick to win the national title again? I forgot.
3: I picked LSU. Who okay. they're, they're not, now they don't even know who's going to play quarterback. Les Miles. Are you kidding me? I can't, guys. I, I, I laid, This is how sick it is. I laid awake after they lost to Wisconsin. If they when they crossed the fifty yard line and all they needed was a field goal to win the game. I would have called a timeout, and I would have told my offensive coordinator, take the quarterback. I don't care if he, if he stands next to you on the sidelines. Put him at wide receiver. Put him anywhere. But one guy is going to touch the ball the rest of the game. When you got Leonard Fournette, a first-round draft pick in the backfield, and you throw the ball and get beat uh, – Don't get me started. But, yes, that's who I picked, Bruce. Thanks for bringing it up. You just ruined my lunch.
1: Well, here's my question. So what do you do (laughs) as a head coach? Like how – I mean, I know you were a defensive guy. Les was an offensive lineman. You were both offensive linemen, but Les came up on the offensive side of the ball as a coach. You were on the defensive side. But if you're – when you're a head coach, how do you manage – you know, having an influence because you're still the head guy, but also maybe not not uh, overstepping and, and just kind of letting your guys delegate and do what they do. How, how fine of a line is that?
3: Boy, it, it is a fine one. You know, I always – I mean, I, I, I was the opposite. Now, first couple of years at the Bears, I actually called the defenses. But then after that, and the whole time I was at the Dolphins, I hired a guy named Jim Bates. You know, he was the, he had been a, a head coach in the USFL. He had been a linebacker coach. I knew him. I met him when he was with Bill Belichick's class. At uh, uh, he was on his staff at Cleveland, and he was the D-line coach for the Dallas Cowboys. They were running the same system that we were. So I hired Jim at the Dolphins, and Jim, you know, we hey, it was the Dallas Cowboy playbook, and that's what I wanted. So and Jim took it. He did a great job with it, and went. Every, all week long, though, I, I'd sit in the meetings and things would come up or, you know, little adjustments would come up or something that I felt strong with or didn't feel strong with and and make a recommendation then. But uh, you, you got to do it one way or another. Either you have a guy that's qualified and you trust him to do it and or, or you do it yourself. And, you know, North, North Turner, you know, when he was the head coach, I mean, he called the plays the whole time on offense. And so did Mike Holmgren. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's been done both ways. Uh, What I don't like about LSU is even last year, you know, Cam Cameron was a head coach. He was a coordinator in a league. He's coaching the NFL. You know, he's, he's more than qualified. Uh, But last year, even if you remember LSU went from some two back to one back, I mean, you, you don't do that stuff in the middle of the season. I mean, that's, that's that's why I'm a little bit off on them. I'm, you know, it's uh, it just seems to be a lot of lack of. I don't want you want to use the word commitment, but but consistency with what's going on on offense.
2: Man, if you had that many concerns, I'm surprised you picked LSU in the first place. Yeah, so am I. So am I. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, I did that. I did the same thing. I uh put them in the playoff despite my own uh better
3: instincts. Well, I'll tell you why I did it, Stu. You know, they got Alabama at home. They got eight returning starters on offense. They got eight on defense. They hired Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator from Wisconsin, who I think is excellent. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everything they've got—maybe the Heisman Trophy winner running back potentially before the year started, Leonard Fournette, the best running back potentially in the country. I mean, there's a lot of reasons they got the, you know—a lot of reasons to, to like them. So I mean, I uh, it, I hear you.
2: Those, those are all the same reasons. I and look, maybe yeah. Danny Etling so, will come. So are you, and uh, save coach?
1: Are day. you off the bandwagon now entirely? You've given up. The I'm bill.
3: hanging with them. I'm hanging with them. I'm. I'm hey, they've got one loss. You know, we all know the story. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, Ohio State got beat by Virginia Tech and won the national championship. Last year, Alabama loses to – help me out here. Who did they get beat by early? Uh,
1: Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Ole,
3: they lose to Ole Miss, and they come back and win a national championship. So, hey, it's early in the year. So I'm, I'm still on LSU, and I'm, I'm, still, I'm still hanging with them. Coach, let me ask you this. You
2: know, it would not be a podcast without one of your great stories. And uh, in the spirit of Ohio State going to Oklahoma this week, when people think about the history of Oklahoma football, who's the first name they think of? Barry Switzer. You coached against him at Oklahoma State. Do you have any great uh,
3: I, I, stories? I from did. Those I, days? You know what? I I talked to Coach Switzer last week because Fox wanted to do a uh, a sit down with him one on one, and uh, they, well, I was trying to get a hold of him. So I I called uh, my good friend Pat Jones, the old ex, you know, Oklahoma State coach, and. Him and Barry are good friends. So I called Coach Switzer last week and, and, uh, our people at Fox got a hold of him and went down and did a nice sit down with him. They said he was great. But yeah, I got a thousand stories about him. You know, <laughs> it, uh, uh, unfortunately, they were winning national championships and we had a, we, we were, come, we had a program we took over. Jimmy Johnson did at Oklahoma State that was coming off probation and we had, I think we had about 40 guys on scholarship and they had 140. But, uh, you know, it. I, the, you know, I think the last time that I was in Norman playing a game at Oklahoma State, because all the times we played OU when I was at Miami, or, yeah, we played them in the Orange Bowl, you know, for the national championship and, and the other uh, regular season game. Last time I was there, they beat us so bad at Oklahoma State, I forget what the final score was. It might have been sixty some to five. That. The game was over and I was on the field and we were walking out the midfield to shake hands with the opposing coaches and Merv Johnson, great friend of mine. He's Merv is still there. Merv was the assistant head coach under Barry Switzer and the offensive line coach. And I'm walking beside Jimmy and Merv put, Jimmy's looking for Barry, Barry, nowhere. Merv sticks his hand out to Jimmy and says, coach, coach Switzer said, good luck next week. He went in with about five minutes to go in the game and started calling recruits. <laughs> now. No, he couldn't now, get away give, with that now. Give, give that some thought, right? Now, I mean, obviously, he had a cigarette during the game. No, he probably didn't. He wasn't nervous. But then – but he left, and he went uh, – left the game early, and Merv Johnson said goodbye, good luck next week. That's uh, – how about that one? Stu, how there's a good
1: one? postscript to this story. So last ye- <laughs> last winter – uh, I end up on a radio show with Barry Switzer, and I ask him the Wanstad story, and he kind of—I don't even know if he even remembered—not acknowledging you guys, but he said, right. "You know, I tried to hire Dave Wonstadt when I was at Oklahoma. I right. wanted to hire him. Coach was oblivious yes. to this. He didn't remember or whatever. There was like something <laughs> about it. <laughs> well, hey, it was like- you
3: think we—you think that was the first time he did it? Think about that, right?" I mean, he that well, he was notorious for that. And, and to me, probably the best recruiting recruiting head coach ever is Barry Switzer. I mean, the guy was unbelievable. And he, uh, but we probably it probably wasn't the first time he did it. Now he was notoriously known for at halftime the team would go in and they'd be you know whooping on somebody, and he would spend the entire halftime in his office with his recruiting coordinator, and they would be calling the top players around the country. And he would say, this is Coach Switzer. Hey, it's halftime and we're playing, uh, you know, whoever, Missouri. And uh, just wanted to check on you and let you know what I'm thinking about you. And then he'd go out. They'd say two-minute warning. He'd call the team up and say, let's go. Let's go finish this thing and head out to the game. Yes. Oh, yeah. So uh, he, he, he didn't miss a beat. Did not miss a beat. Can you imagine the controversy yeah, was, the, now?
2: You know, every game's on TV. <laughs> Twitter notices everything. If the head coach, and especially one as prominent as him, didn't come out to shake the uh, losing coach's hand after the game,
3: how about the how about the cigarettes on the sideline? Remember, Barry used to <laughs> hunch down there, and an the assistant would bring him over, and he'd fire up the cigarette. Remember that? You know, he he have, he'd have the cigarettes during the game, and uh, uh, oh yeah, it, 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 he was the best. I love the guy. I mean, he he, he truly. Uh, uh, he was great oh, i 'll give you a great story tony wise okay who he was uh, he was with Jimmy and myself from the pit days oklahoma state miami dallas he was, in fact he finished his career with me at the University of Pittsburgh you know he was with us at bears oh, he was my assistant head coach best one of the best offensive line coaches ever. His brother was trying to become an actor and so he was you know if it 's a tough life so the guy it was guys in New York city and he's pending bar. He's trying to, he's doing a bunch of auditions. He's getting his clothes from the thrift shop up there, you know, whatever he could wear. He had no money. And so he was wearing a shirt that he had gotten and it said, bar- his name was Peter, Peter wise. And the shirt that he was wearing that he had gotten it from like a, a thrift store, it said Barney on it. Okay. And it was just, you know, Barney was, it was a moving company. <laughs> and so so we're at the Orange Bowl, and we are in the Fountain Blue, okay? We had some function down there. And so we are leaving, and uh, here comes the Oklahoma crew, and here comes the Miami crew. Now, we're all at the University of Miami, Orange Bowl. And so we stop both staffs. Hey, how you doing, Barry, Merv, you know, blah, 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 back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, and Tony says, hey, this is my brother, Pete. And, and Coach Switzer says, hey, Pete, nice to, nice to meet you. You know, blah, blah, blah. We're small talk. They head out. We head out. Okay, fast forward about four hours. Here we come rolling in. Our gang, you know, the, the Miami Mafia, as they called us. You know, here we come, about five or six of us. Here comes the OU crew, Barry leading them. We meet again in the lobby. Small talk. Where are you going? And uh, Barry looks right at Tony's brother, and he says, Barney. How was your night? Do you have a good time? He puts his hand out and shakes his hand. And we leave, and we and we told that story. You know, he, I mean, just personable, but he forgot that it was Peter, but he looked at his shirt, and his shirt said Barney on it. So he says, Bar- Barney, how was your night? Did you have a good time? And Pete and Tony Wise's brother, says, oh, Coach, I had a great time. I love Florida. You know, all those deals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, he was the best. He was the best.
2: One day we we're going to just do a whole podcast of just the Dave wants that story hour.
1: <laughs> forget the
2: analysis of the games. Forget you know every other segment of our podcast. We could just do this. What do you think, Bruce?
1: Yeah, I think I think we're Miss Fox is missing an opportunity here. <laughs>
3: nope. You know what? This this is great, and I enjoy going on with you guys. We will do it uh, whenever, whenever, uh, whenever I'm wanted. Give me a call, and uh, we'll do it. And, uh, wow. I don't know why I see you guys this week, or you guys are scattered. Where are you at LA or where are you guys going? This I'll
2: week? see you. I'll be, uh, I'll be in Norman with you. Okay. I am okay, holding so down the fort there.
1: back in LA coach. Okay. You're, Oh, oh that's somebody has to do the hard. halftime and pregame. of that's the right. TCU Iowa you, state. You, you'll
3: game. be do, yeah, you'll be doing some, uh, you'll be doing all the halftime stuff with Mike Hill. That's right. I forgot. All yeah. right, guys. We look so forward like, to seeing always- your,
2: yeah, to seeing you guys, you on the show, the interview with urban.
3: Yeah, perfect, and uh, I'll see you, Stewie, and uh, and Norman, and Bruce, probably catch up with you here next week, okay?
1: Sounds good, Coach. Thank Thank you.
3: you. Okay, bye-bye.
2: All right, Bruce, we'll get back to the podcast in a second, but first, we've got two sponsors for the Audible this week. The first is SeatGeek. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or concert. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. And everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work, and you save time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. And of course, best of all, Our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase, which is perfect because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are buying tickets to their favorite uh, college football game. So to do that, to get your $20 rebate on tickets, download download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter promo code Audible and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code Audible today.
1: Very nice, Stu. Very well done.
2: It's your turn. And uh, we're, you know, we got a new one here.
1: I know, Stu. I am thrilled about our new sponsor. It is Dollar Shave Club. They hooked us up with some product. And I got to tell you so I'm one of these people who shave in the shower, do not normally use shaving cream. I just use the hot water and take my chances. Ouch. Um, But, you know, so they're, they're, Shave butter I thought worked very well but also some of the other products uh, were terrific. Uh, yesterday, we taped Joel Klatz breaking the huddle show. Joel was in the best mood I've ever seen him. You know why? I figured it out. It's because I smelled so good. Everybody <laughs> was in a good mood because it was just like a, an ambiance that was, that was in that office going on. and It was all due to Dollar Shave
2: Club. So tell us how Dollar Shave Club works.
1: Okay, so DollarShaveClub.com delivers amazing razors right to your door for a third of the price and what the greedy of uh, the third of the price what the greedy razor corporations charge. Just go to DollarShaveClub.com and pick a razor that works for you from their lineup of amazing blades. That's all there is to it. Get a first-class shave with the quote Executive Blade and when you and when you use it with their Dr. Carver's shave butter, which is what I did, the blade just gently glides for the smoothest shave ever. With Dollar Shave Club, you can look, smell, and shave like a million bucks without paying for it. And I can vouch for the smell. I think Joel Cladd is still in a good mood 24 hours later after being around me and Matt Liner.
2: Wow, this is going to be interesting the next time I see you in person.
1: Yeah. So here's the call to action here's your chance to see why there are over 3 million members. Who love Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club is so confident in the quality of all their products. Now you can get your first month of the club for free. All you do is have to pay for shipping. After that, just a few bucks a month. No long-term commitment. No hidden fees. There's no reason not to do it. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash audible. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash audible. How's that?
2: Uh, You did a good job there. So you basically use our promo code on that one to get the first month free. Join the club. Uh, All right, we're going to get to some mailbag emails here. And, of course, these days, what would be an audible segment without a Rob Stone jingle?
0: It's the mailbag from a computer. So not literally a bag, but just mail. I like that
2: one.
1: I do. It is very catchy. Uh, it just fits the internet. I think it it's felt awesome. Very,
2: I'm going to go out on a limb. I've never talked about this. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that Rob, that um, David Letterman is one of his influences. That felt very David Letterman-esque.
1: He has, you know, he has told us that too. Back in his sideline days, that uh, that made a big impact. Actually, on, yeah.
2: what am I saying? He said that on our podcast. That must yes, have been in my brain said. when I just said that. All right. Um, this is from Mike McKenzie. Guys. Curious your thoughts on this game. This is going to be huge. Wait, I should probably tell you what game he's talking about. And that is Miami at Appalachian State. Miami is the first Power 5 team ever to go to Boone. And the game sold out in under an hour. Can Appalachian State send the fans home
1: happy? And also, why the hell would Miami agree to go to Boone? The latter is a great question. I think Miami is th- this is by far the toughest team they played. They were they were the better team on the in the trenches against Tennessee. And Tennessee has a really good D-line, but I thought that they their D-line, Appalachian State is really well coached on defense especially. Uh they have they have a good offensive line as well. Miami is Miami's got a lot, has had a ton of big plays on defense so far, but this is a big step up in class, and we're going to see how they respond to a road test, and it's not going to be an easy environment. Now, Stacy Searles, who's Miami's offensive line coach, he spent, I think, like six or seven years on the Appalachian S- State staff, so he knows what they're getting themselves into.
2: Yeah, I don't uh, – You know, before the season when we were doing our conference predictions, I penciled this one in as an L for Miami. Uh, I thought it would be the perfect kind of upset, but I wonder if because of what happened against Tennessee – Uh, now there's no sneaking up and Miami might take them more seriously but end of day it's still a good team and we don't really know much of anything about Miami from the teams that they've um that they've beaten up on so far in terms of his why are they doing it it's a great question uh I just looked it up this home and home was just scheduled last November so I have a feeling it was a situation where Miami you know had a last minute opening to fill and this was about the best thing you know you're not gonna be able to get uh Uh, Ohio State to come down for home-and-home on short notice. So at that point, you have two choices. You could pay an Appalachian State or somebody a million-something dollars to come play a game at your stadium that nobody goes to or do the home-and-home. So that's what they're choosing to do. And uh, what's your call? What's your
1: prediction? I think think Miami's going to lose. I I think it's going to be close, but I think... It's just a new environment. I think Brad Kyle will play well there, but I, I think people looking at it go, I mean, the, this team is very physical. They're really good on defense. Uh, you know, Miami had uh, their running backs have had big, big games, but they haven't seen, I think, the toughness yet in their first two opponents that they're going to see on this on the road. So I think Miami's going to get knocked off here. Are you sticking with your upset pick?
2: I am, but now I feel like we jinxed it if we're both picking Appalachian State. But uh, no, I'm sticking with it. Um, we'll see. I mean... We haven't yet uh, really seen the, the three freshman linebackers against a, a quality opponent for Miami I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, I think that defense is capable of really messing things up
1: uh, for Miami. All offense. right. Next, qu- well, yeah. next question. I'm going to answer this one before you, because I'm writing about it today.
2: That's why I included it.
1: Oh, see, you're, you're so, so much. Why don't smart.
2: I just go cool. ahead and tee you up? Hello, Stu and Bruce. Love the podcast. Before the season started, I thought Clemson had a great chance to win the college football playoff because of the talent they have returning on offense and because they have one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. Through two games, the offense has been very disappointing. Why do you guys think Clemson has struggled so much on, off, on offense this season? Thanks, Andy Davis. We did talk about this on the podcast the other day, so I was, wasn't sure whether we wanted to go down that road again, but because you're, you've been doing additional reporting, why don't you enlighten us?
1: Yeah, so uh, as we're doing this, it's Wednesday. Dabo Swinney had commented on it this morning. Explained we had twelve drop passes in two games. They had eight uh, last week, and when they barely beat Troy, and he said, "Well, that that's a problem. We're in a funk right now. It is a lack of focus and a lack of concentration." He also talked about how when you have that kind of drop passes, he said it affects everybody. It affects the right guard. It affects your defense. It affects. You know, getting into a rhythm on both sides of the ball. He, but he did say, you know, we're, it's going to get better. Now they're going to be out without Hunter Renfro, who's one of their better receivers. But they have a such a deep receiving core. Uh, you know, Renfro could be out for a month. But uh, I, I'm not. I know we talked about this with Coach Wands. That I am not getting off the Clemson bandwagon at this point. I, I still think they're going to get it sorted out. There, my preseason pick to win it all, and I still believe it. You?
2: Uh, I think they will. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not picking them to win at all. I, I've been on the Florida State bandwagon from the beginning, but, uh, I think that we talked about it the other day. I think that this is correctable. I don't think this is, it's certainly not because of some deficiency in talent or personnel. We know that well. Um, I think most of what you're talking about is correctable, but I'd like to see that get corrected very soon here. I don't, I don't know, uh, how much longer you can continue to play like this and not have it, um, catch up to you. So... Um, I think they, who they play this week? One double A team?
1: Yeah, it's South Carolina State, I believe.
2: Yeah, so we won't really get any answers yet, but um, the ACC season is coming soon enough.
1: Hey, Bruce and Stewart. Stewart, he got Stewart, not Stu. That's very good. Uh, I know this is still a bit premature, but I feel like Charlie Strong has turned Texas around and between his recruiting and the state of the rest of the Big 12, I feel like UT will be the class of the conference in the next few years. My question is, how do you feel like he stacks up against other elite coaches? If he went up against Saban or Urban Meyer with an equally talented team, how do you think Strong would fare? Thanks, Quincy.
2: A bit premature, huh? It, it's funny to me how quickly the narrative around Charlie Strong has gone from hot seat to he's back, he's got Texas turned around, and now we want, he uh, Quincy wants us to stack him up against elite coaches. You know, I'm somewhere in between. I never... You know, during the last two years, I still don't worry. He'll get it figured out. He did it at Louisville. He'll do it again, but I don't know. Based on one win over Notre Dame, I'm not ready to say he's one of the ten best coaches in the country. I'd like to see how this season plays out. This has been a really, um, you know, I would say this. He's one of the elite defensive coaches in the country. Nobody could dispute that. In terms of overall team offense, obviously, great two year run at Louisville with a great quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater. We'll see this year. Uh, you know, obviously, Shane Bouchelle has looked great so far, uh, but I'm curious to see how that plays out over the course of the season. I think we're going to find out here pretty soon that Notre Dame's defense is not very good, and then, of course, like I said, great defensive coach, but still a lot of inexperience on that side of the ball. So people are rushing to anoint these guys. I had uh, somebody write into the mailbag on Wednesday, ready to crown them Big Twelve champs. You know, I said they're going to be better before the season. I said they could win nine games. But, uh people are acting like it's already you know they're they're Vince Young is back in town and they're headed to the national championship game.
1: Let me play the other side of that question a little bit, which I agree with the direction Quincy went in you know on the first half of that. The big part I also wonder about is, especially if Oklahoma loses to Ohio State, the big twelve is looking really, really suspect now uh you know, you see Oklahoma State went down to to central Michigan, you know you can look at the you can question the outcome and the ending because it was, you know, got, the call was gotten wrong, but it was still a really shaky performance. Texas Tech's defense still looks atrocious. Uh, you, you look at the Baylor team I had that struggled for a little more than a half with with SMU, their offensive line looked, looked really underwhelming. Um, you know, when I look at this, K-State's performance at Stanford actually may be one of the better things we've seen from the Big 12 would so you, far. Would
2: you agree that? First of all, well, first of all, in terms of Texas, let's people are getting a little cocky there considering they're playing a game this week they could they could lose at Cal. I know Cal just lost to San Diego State, but Davis Webb and that offense can put up a whole lot of points and yards on Texas if that defense is not uh, where it should be. I mean, it's not like they had a great defensive performance against Notre Dame. Deshaun Kaiser had a great game that night. But let's even go ahead and let's just say they do beat Cal on the road. Uh, I feel like the Big 12 has so much riding on Oklahoma against Ohio State. If they if Oklahoma loses a second game already out of conference, it means one of two things. If you think they could turn around and win the Big 12, which they certainly could. I mean, somebody brought this scenario up in the mail. You could have an 8 and 4. You know, they could go 7 and 2 win the conference and be an 8 and 4 conference champ. Maybe you know 9 the, and 3. That would you know that the, would be a bad look.
1: You know what the jump ahead to this for me is it means even all the stuff we've talked about with Houston, how they need Oklahoma to be good. What happens if there's like a two-loss or even a three-loss Big 12 champ and a two-loss Pac-12 champ? You're looking at the scenario that you could have a conference with two teams in there stronger and that's stronger.
2: Always, that's always been a strong possibility this year.
1: Because um, we, ha- we really haven't had in the last couple of years one conference be that down of the power Five. Sure.
2: And then the other part of it I was going to say is, okay, if Oklahoma doesn't win the Big 12, whoever does, you know, you you would normally count on that to be one of your big quality wins of the season. But, you know, if they're barely a top 25 team, then that's another story. Now, I will say the committee is going to give them credit for playing these two, you know, tough games. If they don't, then why would anybody schedule games like Houston and Ohio State? But um, I don't know. I think that – the I'm not ready to do what I – I've already seen people writing this week. The Big 12 out of the playoff. They're almost out of the playoff. It's week – you know, through two weeks. Come and on. And it's
1: also this game hasn't happened. Uh,
2: what if the, West Virginia turns out to be the uh, – they're still undefeated. What if they turn out to be the Big 12 champ?
1: Maybe. You know, look, they, I think they have talent. They definitely have a, an explosive offense. Um, so let's pick this game. Why don't we do this? Are you picking the Buckeyes or the, or the Sooners here?
2: Uh you really want me to go there already, huh? Before I do. Our well, this is a, even goes are you doing up.
1: another podcast this week?
2: No. Okay. Um, I'm picking the Sooners. I think they bounce back. Uh, they have historically had a great record at home under Bob Stoops. And this is, a this is you know, playing Bowling Green and Tulsa at the Horseshoe is one thing. This is a big step up. I do think I am much higher on Ohio State now than I was going into the season. And maybe they turn around and they don't lose another game. But I am picking the Sooners in this one. What about you?
1: I'm with you. I think that Oklahoma's offensive line, young as it was, I think was embarrassed by Houston's D line, and I think they're going to respond to the challenge of playing at home. And I, I still think Ohio State could light up that that uh, you know that defense. I don't have a ton of confidence in, in Mike Stoops' defense, but I think their offensive line is going to play a lot better, and they will run the ball better. And I think they're going to win the game. And for the time being, they will tamp down all the, hey, the Big 12 stinks this year discussion.
2: Real quick, speaking of uh, teams and fan bases that are getting a little ahead of themselves. So like I said, I'm high on Ohio State. I picked them to win the Big 10 before the season, but not make the playoff. Uh, this week, I did put them in the uh, playoff projection. But frankly, it's hard to find a fourth team I felt good about anyway. And the Michigan fans act like, this is some huge injustice that I couldn't that I don't have Michigan in the playoff. That I don't have Michigan higher than number five in the country. What did we see again? They haven't done anything yet. Yeah, I mean, look, they're even starting I, to spin this Colorado game as their big their big showcase opportunity, just because Colorado
1: is two and zero. I don't know. I think that this is a case where. I don't know I I think if you're not in yet you won't you know it's not what are you gonna see but I was on board already I feel very good about Michigan Wilton Spade has played very well
2: he has no question I'm still I mean wasn't
1: that the biggest question mark people had
2: yeah but but he hasn't played anybody like how many yards would you throw for against
1: Hawaii and in UCF not a lot Stu let's be honest you don't have the arm strength anymore yeah, look. I mean, the idea you just throw somebody out there and have them light up a college defense it sounds funny, but it ain't. It ain't happening. Well,
2: how come? How come you're so objecting to that, and yet you're always willing to play the? Um, you know, you're always thrown out like I could run for seven yards against the, the this defense or that defense or behind this offensive line.
1: Because I know I've seen you at at. Uh... At the Free Fox Lunch Buffet, hey, and I know you have good change of direction. I have a little more confidence in your wheels than I do <laughs> in my ability to read a defense. Okay, let
2: me throw this one at you. You saw the Texas Tech-Arizona um, State game last week. You saw um, you saw uh, Kalen Balazs run for eight touchdowns. The last one almost looked like—I mean, it looked almost as if Texas Tech's defense was throwing the game. He had, he had so much room to move. I saw a great—it was David Obman, who joked— you know, there was the, the guy who ran on the field against the, uh, uh, which game was that? The Monday night game? The yeah, guy worked, that ran on the field and, like, it, did, didn't yeah. get tackled for what seemed like an eternity, and he made a joke that must be the Texas Tech defense. So my question to you is, if I gave you 15 carries, no, 20 carries against the Texas Tech defense, how many yards do you run for? Who's my offensive line?
1: Um, whose do you want? I would I would probably take Alabama's. Thank you very much.
2: Okay, yes. Alabama's offensive line against the Texas Tech defense. You get 20 carries. How many are you going for?
1: I don't think I'm lasting 20 carries, to be honest, too. Okay. I, I think— Five carries. I don't know if I'm lasting five carries. I probably—I better—I don't
2: know. Who's going to hit you that would make you— that would make you not be able to last five
1: carries. I don't think – I honestly don't think for – like all jokes aside, I honestly don't think people realize like, you know, Braden Fajoko was a guy everybody wanted uh at a, coming out of high school. Andre Pipkins played at Michigan and, you know, you're, you're still talking about some 310-pound guys who were pretty athletic.
2: Okay. One carry. Any play you want, you draw it up off-tackle – Draw whatever you want behind the Alabama offensive line against Texas Tech's horrendous rush defense. You think you can get seven?
1: I hope my receivers on the perimeter are very good blockers. I don't know if I could get seven, but if if they seal the side, I'm sprinting as fast as I can, running for my life to to the edge, maybe I can get seven.
2: Seven's probably a bit of a stretch, but I think you get five.
1: It, you know, it's what we're Cliff talking Kingsbury about. Kingsbury is
2: never listening to this podcast again. What's that? Cliff Kingsbury will never listen to this podcast again if he ever did in the first
1: place. It's season. more or less. You know, what's funny is his defensive coordinator uh, David Gibbs is the funniest person to talk to when it comes to those coach uh, TV crew because he is brutally honest. Now, I'm sure he would probably vomit on his desk right now if he heard of, I said I could get to the edge and, and <laughs> run through his defense, but. Um, if Cal yeah.
2: if Cal played Texas Tech next week, would there be a single punt in the game?
1: I don't think so. I really don't. I mean, I, you know, I I wrote the other day that I thought Donnell Pumphrey was going to run for two fifty on Cal,
2: and he exceeded that,
1: and he exceeded it. You know, so last year, by the way, our colleague uh, Clay Travis, I remember had one of his friggin' blood bank guarantees bowl season where he said Texas Tech was going to cover against LSU. I had done three Texas Tech game. I said, you're fucking out of your mind. You actually watch Texas Tech? Leonard Fournette will run, could run for 500 yards against them. And, you know, I think it's – they just uh, – to me, uh, one of the big issues with Texas Tech and certainly with Cal, I think, is they have not recruited enough guys who can who can play on defense.
2: Is Kingsbury in any sort of trouble there? I mean, he's the – He's the hometown hero. He was, you know, he got off to a great start there, and he certainly has gotten a lot of national attention for Texas Tech, but this is still happening.
1: Yeah, you know, like I still think they're going to be, because I picked them to win eight games. I think part of that is because I think they are going to be so good on offense, and we saw a lot of good from, from Patrick Mahomes. Defensively, I thought they would get better, and they still might. You know, it's early, but they are so bad on defense right now. The thing that's that I, you know, was I have a thought about this the other day is Cliff Kingsbury is still a hero to people at Texas Tech. I can't see them pulling the plug on him even after four years. I mean, his record is, I think, is is at 500 right now there in his time. You know, if he goes five and seven in that in that conference, how would they handle it? I don't know. To I mean, his credit, they did beat uh, Arkansas. That was a good win last year. They beat Texas.
2: So it's not like, I mean, they went to a bowl game last year. So we're not talking about a uh, program down in the dumps. But watching that game made me think, gosh, they are going to really struggle to stop anybody uh, in, a con- in the Big 12 in a conference where you've got a lot of uh, very powerful offenses. Um, all right, I just want to throw this in real quick. This person wrote in and asked us not to read this on the email on the podcast, but I have to read this on the podcast. So I'm just leaving his name out. He says, I've been a bit behind in the podcast and it's been taking a while for me to catch up on sending emails. I just wanted Bruce to know that after he admitted he smoked pot, I started following him on Twitter. That's what it took? Yeah, and in fact, I should mention that the subject of his email was Bruce is now cool.
1: Wow. Well, if I, I don't know what – I'm about to tell a story that I probably shouldn't tell because it involves something a little more than pot. But um, hey, now maybe, maybe we'll look up my MySpace page if he tells me what I almost did in junior college. Um, OK. Well, that's good to know, I think.
2: Oh, so you're not telling the story now?
1: No. It's, it's a really – it's not a good story. It's like – I mean
2: – You have to give us a hint of it was something worse than pot. What are
1: we talking about? It was something about? significantly worse than pot. It was the kind of thing where I was like, I don't know if I want to go down this road at, my, at this stage of my life.
2: And how long ago was this? Stu?
1: I was in junior college, so it was over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So a did, bunch of my buddies were uh, – Did Miami were,
2: know about this when they recruited you?
1: <laughs> a bunch of my buddies were, were uh, baseball players and fuck it. I'll tell the story. And um, I want to say I was one of the few people there who I don't think was doing coke and somebody was like, well, if you just put it on your gums, it's not going to – make. It's, not, you know, it, it's, it's OK. And yeah, I just – I didn't pull the trigger on that move, so.
2: Oh, after all that, you didn't actually do it?
1: No, I didn't do it. No. So
2: why but, was this hard to bring up on the podcast?
1: I mean, just the idea that I'm actually contemplating you know, doing a, a, a heavy, heavy drug. Yeah.
0: I don't
2: know. Well, you held off. You didn't, you didn't give in, and uh, you, you Let's didn't qualify like yourself from any on, transfer policies, so it's all good.
1: Yeah, there you go.
2: All right, looking forward to this weekend. So many great games. Um, you'll be in L.A. where you will do uh, – where you this week will be the, the in-studio person.
1: Yes, it's me and Mike attitude. Hill. It's affectionately going to be known as the Grown and Sexy College Football <laughs> Studio Show. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I used to do this kind of stuff at CBS, and so just sit back and, and uh, not be in six, and, and the sun for six hours isn't a, bad, isn't a bad day off.
2: And I used to go cover big college football games every week uh, in, in an earlier time, so I'm looking forward to getting back out there, uh, even though it's a bit of a long trip from here.
1: Word on the street is you may be wearing makeup in the press box. True or false?
2: Not that, I, not that I'm aware of unless somebody's told me something. I think told you well, something that I'm not aware I th-
1: of. I think they may be just like uh, saying, well, just in case that we have to pull Stu out from the press box onto the set. Let's just make sure he's like makeup Navy, ready.
2: Like the Navy quarterback?
1: Exactly.
2: Okay. If you have email, send them to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast... Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. We should mention podcast audience we found out yesterday up 40% month over month. So thank you so much for your support and for – I guess you're telling your friends about it just like we asked. So uh, appreciate it and we'll see you next time.